Hey friends, thank you for pressing play and tuning into Women in Transition. I am your host, Tia Davidson, and you're invited to join me every week for transparent storytelling about life, love, and business. Get ready to laugh, to feel inspired, and challenged to get out of your comfort zone. We are all adjusting to this world of perfection experts doing it for the gram, when in real life, we're just out here trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. Hang on to our adult relationships, find the balance between side hustle and nine to five, and adjust to our new identities in marriage and parenthood. Each episode, I will help you see the growth and possibility in what's next. Are you in position for the next transition? Let's get into the show. Welcome back to Women in Transition with Tia Davidson. I am your host, and today I have Kara joining me, who is one of the bloggers behind the blog, Putting Her First. Kara is a confident, charismatic, natural-born leader. She is also a wife and a mother of one. She is based in Toronto, Canada, where she works as a marketing and product development professional. She has been a social butterfly since birth and is one of the realest people you will ever meet. She doesn't sugarcoat anything. We have that in common, girl. (laughs) Kara, please tell the people who you are as a woman in transition. Thanks, Tia. I'm excited to be here. So for me, I really think that I'm in a phase in my life where I'm able to transition to focusing on my career and my passions again. For a long time, a lot of my life decisions were based on you know, family planning and planning that perfect family until I discovered my own infertility issues. But now that my family planning, quote unquote, is complete, it's time to focus on me again. So that's where I'm at. Yes, I love that. More women need, you know, stories like this and and need to be reminded, you know, to put themselves first and start, you know, doing things like that. So why I wanted to share your story is because I stumbled across your blog. Me and you were in the same, you know, Facebook blogger group and you shared your blog post about experiencing menopause at the age of 34. But before we get into that, I definitely like to get to know you more um, because this is our first time talking. And I, you know, I stalked you a little bit on your blog. So (laughs) I know a little bit, you know, a little bit of things. But what I saw, you've been married for eight years. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, that is an accomplishment, girl, especially millennial years, you know? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) How did you meet your husband? So it's actually a funny story. We've known each other since we were 11 years old. So uh, we went to elementary school together, middle school together, high school together, college together, but we never dated. We didn't date. Like we always kind of liked each other. He'll say that he didn't like me, but he totally did. Um, And I actually ended up dating like a friend of his and I kind of dated him throughout all of high school. And then after college, we kind of dated separate people. And in 2008, he reached out to me on Facebook and we went out for pizza and ice cream. And it's pretty much been history ever since. Oh my gosh, that's cute. So he slid in your DMs. Exactly. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, that is so unique. Uh, a unique story that you guys have known each other for that long, never dated, and then he slid in your DMs. Do you remember what he said? I feel like he said, because I think we were supposed to do something the year before, and uh-huh. then I kind of flaked on him, and then he reached back out and was like, hey, like, what happened to last year? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know, like, I got busy or something like that. And I was like, oh, but I'm free, like, now. And he's like, okay, well, you know, I'm working, but, you know, maybe, like, next weekend. So I was like, all right, that's cool. Like, I kind of played it really cool. And I remember when he picked me up, like, he drove up to my parents' house and he, you know, had a nice car. And I was like, wow, you got a lot more buff than <laughs> than high school days. Um, but, yeah, no, it was it was good. Oh my gosh. So who would you say you were before marriage and who are you today? I feel like I have always been a very independent woman. I think I get that from my grandmother. I, um, you know, she, both of my grandmothers actually were, one was a single mother and kind of never remarried. And then my mom's mom, she um, was also a single mother, but her husband had passed away uh, when her kids were like two. Mm. And so they were both very, very strong, very independent. So I think I've always been that way. And I think who I am today, I think I haven't lost sight of who I am, but I think I've learned that I, it's okay to be dependent sometimes. Like I'm still very much independent, but it's okay to lean on my husband for certain things. I don't have to do everything myself. Um, So I think for me, that's sort of a bit of a change from before I was married to now. Yes. I talk about a lot uh, about that on my own, my blog, the millennial wives club, because I feel like our, you know, experience in marriage as millennials is a little different from our parents because we were brought up to be independent and, you know, put education and career first and marriage and kids could come, you know, a little later and to just put our focus on there. So I think you, you have more independent women out there, you know, who, I don't know, maybe when you see marriage, you think you will lose yourself and, you know, I think it's very important to share stories and talk to other women like yourself and hear you say like, you know, like I was this, I, you know, I'm still this, but I've learned, you know, that I can depend on my husband for X, Y, and Z. Um, exactly. You know, it's, it's a balance. It's a balance. Exactly. It's all about balance. (laughs) So tell me about your blog, putting her first and why you started it because you do it with your best friend, right? Yes. My real life best friend. I always quote that we're not Instagram friends. We are real life best friends that we've been friends for over two decades now. Uh, We grew up on the same street. So as, as children, our families, our friends, like we're very close. We literally do everything together all the time. It's, it's probably sickening for most people, (laughs) but we love each other. So it's all good. I really say like, we both say we're really the sisters that neither of us had. We both have brothers and, and sort of, we have, we have that sisterhood bond. I call it our sistership because it's like a sisterhood and a friendship. And so it's our sistership. Um, But in terms of the blog, I mean, I've known that I've wanted to do a blog for several years because I wanted to be able to share my life experiences with the world. But again, there was, you know, my focus was on starting my family and sort of everything else that I mm-hmm. wanted to do for myself kind of got put by the, by the wayside. 
And I've always loved writing creative, like creatively in my job. I write a lot, but it's for business, right? So it's, it's really not, doesn't give you that same passion and fire that creative writing um, gives someone. Right. It was also really important for me to show the women that two, sorry, the world that two women can work together, especially two black women, because you don't see that very often um, and be successful at something. So I think because Jennifer and I are real life best friends, and it was just a natural sort of fit that we would both kind of share our stories together because so much of our life experiences have been experienced together. And we really do try to challenge and empower each other to be our best selves every single day. And so, you know, when one is having a bad day, you know, the other will uplift her and vice versa. And, and really this applies to every aspect of our life. I mean, we've been through so many different things and we've always been there. There isn't sort of a milestone or a memory or really large experience in my life that she hasn't been a part of it. So, um, you know, we're, and we're kind of both coming into this phase in our life where we're choosing to put ourselves first because, you know, family planning has been completed and, you know, Jen has sort of her own path of kind of her whole transition and where she's at today. But I think the blog for us was a part of that process and kind of a part of us showing the world sort of a new side of ourselves and learning to put ourselves first again. So for me, that's kind of what it's about is sharing our experiences, our stories um, about wellness, fitness, travel, food. We love food mm. and um, mm. beauty. Um, but really it's, it's for us to share our stories and our ideas to help empower other women to put themselves first too. Yes, I love that. I love, I'm all about women empowerment and sharing stories because I feel like, you know, not a lot of people want to share certain things about themselves, you know, and, yep. and it's so unfortunate because those people also feel alone, you know, because they yep. feel like no one will understand, you know, their story or their fear fearful of judgment and things like that. And, you know, when you share your story, you find people who, you know, connect with you in different ways. And it's so fulfilling. And, and, and so I can't even describe the feeling when someone reads something or can relate to something that I've shared about myself that I didn't have to share, but that they say, I, this happened to me too. Yep. You know, yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Even when you reached out to us, you know, to, to do this interview, I, we were both so honored. Like I was so honored that someone had even read my blog posts and like cared enough about it to reach out. And to me, like, that's the whole purpose of sharing our stories is yes. I always say it's for me, it's not about thousands of followers. It's not about that for me. It's just, even if you help one person, that's yes. all that matters, right? Like it's just helping that one person. Yes. And, and that's why it's so important. I feel like, especially for black women, it's really important for us to share our stories and empower each other and help each other. Yes. Um, because I don't think we typically do that because there's not always enough seats at the table for us. And so we oh. tend to not want to help each other, um, you know, get ahead because you're like, oh, well, if there's only three seats, it's, you know, for me and my friend and, and my sister, yes. and I can't help you. Um, so it's so important to, to tell our stories and have venues like this, like your show that you're showing that we can work together and support each other and uplift each other. And it's so amazing. Yes, girl, I'm over here snapping my fingers like, <laughs> yes, to all of that. <laughs> and you're a girl mom. So what will you teach your daughter about women empowerment? 
So I think for me, I want her to know first and foremost that she, no one will love her more than she can love herself. Um, because I think it's really important as women to have that self-love and know your self-worth. Like you, your worth should not be defined by anybody but yourself. So that's the first thing I want her to know. And then the second thing is that you can, you can do anything that you put your mind to, as long as you're willing to put in the work and the dedication to do it. I truly believe you can do, you can achieve anything that you, that you want to achieve. And so for me, those would be the two things, love yourself, you know, you define your own worth and you can do anything um, for me. And that's, and that's kind of the most important things. And I think those are things that I've learned to do along, you know, my journey, but it's really important for me to instill those in her now as she's young, because I don't want her to grow up thinking that she can't do something because she's a woman. Um, so. Yes. And I think that's going to be, uh, way more prevalent than I think it was when me and you grew up, because I think women, the women empowerment movement is like, it's going strong. It's going strong. And yep. You know, everything that's happening with Black Lives Matters and, you know, um, companies reconsidering, you know, the representation of black, black people, black women in particular, different representations of beauty and things like that are, you know, now, you know, being put at the forefront and being considered, you know, reconsidered. So I think that's going to be great. And the, the next generation of black women is going to be lit. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) (laughs) So this month, I'm dedicating content to Black women and their health. And in the Black community, infertility is such a taboo topic. No one talks about it. No one. Which is why your blog, you know, posts really like, you know, I gravitated to it because I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is this about? Because I, you know, you started your blog (laughs) with like something, something like, uh, you can, you can have menopause in your thirties or something like that. I was like, yeah, that's me. That was me. Like what the (laughs) WTF menopause in your thirties. I was like, yes, girl. Like that's me. Cause I was like, I did not know that that was a thing and it was a thing. And so also on your blog, you mentioned how you were ashamed because it felt awful and you couldn't do the one thing that women were supposed to do. And I'm sure so many women feel that way, which is why they go silent about the topic, but you chose to share. And you mentioned it, you mentioned the why a little bit more when you um, talked about the blog and the importance of sharing your story, but why this particular story did you feel? the need to share? Yeah. So I think, I think it kind of all hit me and it's kind of all a part of the transition of sort of transitioning out of that guilt phase of my life where I felt like I, like, like you said, like I couldn't do that one thing that women were supposed to do. And I felt like part of me letting that go was to be able to share that story with other people. And it, it took me, I mean, it, I didn't write it until almost two years after I, it all happened, but because, but it, writing it felt like it was the morning of, like it was still so fresh in my mind. And so for me, it was really important to, sh- to share that as a part of my transition and further to that, to educate other women. Because if, if I would have recognized some of those signs or pushed my doctor for other tests earlier on, would I have ended up in a different situation? I mean, I don't know. 
but could I feel like it could have helped. And I think that if I can help one person by sharing my story, then for me, that would, that's a win. Yes, I totally agree with that. Um, and, and you did clearly because <laughs> you, you definitely educated me on the whole topic. Like I said, I was not aware. And, um, when you mentioned in your blog about how you, you, you went to Dr. Google, <laughs> I was like, that's cause Google is my best friend. Like I do the same thing. So yep. can you educate us a little bit about what menopause is in general, based on your experience with it and what you found from Dr. Google about POF? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start with menopause a lot of people obviously think that menopause happens after you turn 15. It's something that just naturally happens. But little did I know that early onset menopause can actually happen much earlier. And usually it starts off as POF, which is premature ovarian failure. And what's crazy about it is that one in every 100 women between the ages of 30 and 39 are affected by POF. So really wow. what that means is that your ovaries stop functioning normally before the age of 40. So your ovaries aren't producing normal amounts of estrogen and they're not releasing eggs regularly, which leads to infertility. And obviously common, you know, science 101 is if your body's not going to release an egg, it doesn't matter how much sex you have, you're never going to get pregnant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so so the thing is with women with POF, they can actually live with this condition for a number of years and they may have like irregular or occasional periods. Um, and there's like a 5% chance that they could get pregnant because it could just randomly happen. They could just randomly release an egg. But for me, my, my condition progressed quite quickly. So, um, I had, I had realized I, you know, I'd come off of birth control. My husband and I were planning to have a second child and I noticed that my periods kind of weren't coming back. And most people say, oh, when you, when you come off birth control, you know, it takes some time for your body to kind of get back into it. Right. And, you know, after about six months had gone by and I was developing these horrible symptoms, like my, my, I couldn't remember anything. I had awful night sweats, like to wake up sleeping, like, and then soaking wet in pajamas, like it's terrible. Like you have to get up and change your clothes and change your sheets. Like it's awful. It's like almost like someone poured a bucket of water on you. Like that's how I can equate it. And then throughout the day, you're just getting these like awful hot flushes. So you're just constantly hot. <laughs> it's not great for anybody. Yeah. Um, and then, so I obviously knew something was off. So I went to the doctor and they, my doctor was actually pretty good. She tested me for the, um, necessary like FH and LH levels right away. And, um, when they came back, she said to me, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. These don't look good. And they're actually looking like premenopausal numbers. And so I'm going to refer you to a fertility clinic and they'll investigate further. So I did that. It took them about a month of testing or maybe a couple weeks of testing. And then they had diagnosed me with POF and um, yeah, that was that was sort of it, and it, it just came from really blood work and your hormones. Wow! So, what was your initial reaction when she said that to you? Did you know? Did you kind of know what that meant, or or were you like, "What? Like, what are you talking about, lady?" Yeah. So I was 
I had, because I had been referred to the clinic, I had obviously been Googling. So I had read a little bit about POF online, but I was like, oh no, that's probably not me. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that couldn't be me. So when she said it to me, it was just her and I, my husband actually couldn't come to that appointment. And she told me, and I think I was just silent because I I was trying to process like what she was saying. And I remember saying to her, so so what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she said, well, you know, there's about a 5% chance that you will conceive naturally. And here's a booklet for some donor eggs and be on your merry way, basically is in a nutshell. And I remember her leaving the room to go pick up some, you know, to get some pamphlets or something like that for me. And I just remember taking the Kleenex and just kind of tears just streaming down my face. Because I think even though I kind of had an inkling that this was my condition, it did, it felt so real when she actually diagnosed me with it. It felt literally like someone put a ton of bricks just on my chest. Mm. And the, the sort of the driving home from the doctor, like it all felt like a blur. Like I just, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that like this woman was saying to me that I basically wasn't going to be able to have any more kids because I had, you know, you could kind of plan your whole life around having these two kids, having the big house and Mm-hmm. It, it almost like everything that I had planned out just wasn't going to be able to happen. At least that's the way I felt at the time. Yeah. So how did you eventually cope with it and process the news and how did your family and friends support you through the process? Yeah. So I will say, um, my friends and my husband helped tremendously with coping with it you know, everyone tried to get me to find the silver lining. I also joined a ton of support groups on Facebook. So Mm -hmm. there's actually a million Facebook support groups. And it was really nice to hear from other women who have the same condition Mm -hmm. and just hearing their stories. And, and, you know, some women did get pregnant and I was, I became really optimistic that I was going to kind of be that 5%, right? And I actually didn't, we didn't tell our families right away. We actually didn't tell our families until almost 10 months later after we were diagnosed, actually after I was officially diagnosed with menopause. So kind of in the process of that, um, my period had completely disappeared. And once your period's gone for one year, so this is now the following year, they officially diagnosed you with menopause. So I was officially diagnosed with menopause and, but by that point, by the time I was actually diagnosed with menopause, I had come to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to have another child and I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's at that point that we decided to actually tell our family because I knew once again, it would be another disappointment. And so that was a really difficult conversation to have as well, because, you know, again, your families, you have one, you get married. The question is, when are you going to have a child? You have one child. The question is, you know, when are you going to have number two? And so it was a really difficult conversation for my husband and I to have with them as well. And it took them some time to process the news too, but it was easier for me. I was able to be stronger because I had my own time to process it, you know, with my friends, with my girlfriends, it it was, it's a different dynamic, right? There's less, you kind of feel less pressure with your friends Mm -hmm. um, than you do with sort of your family. So for me, it was that was the harder part was telling my family, but my friends and my husband and all those support groups I are part of definitely helped me sort of process my own feelings with it and, and come to terms with what my condition was. Yeah. 
So how is this something you still have to treat yourself now? Do you still have hot flashes and things or what do you have to do to keep things under control? Yeah. So, I mean, because of my condition, I don't have any estrogen. My body doesn't produce estrogen at all. Mm -hmm. And you need estrogen for daily functions for your brain, for your heart, for your bones. If you don't have it, you can develop osteoporosis or like, um, cognitive dysfunction or, you know, heart issues. So I was on hormone replacement therapy, which is essentially a piece of plastic tape stuck to your butt for (laughs) three months. And then you take a pill and then you get a fake period. Um, So I did that for a while and it definitely took the heat flashes away, but I felt like I just couldn't see myself doing that for another 15 years having this piece of tape stuck to me for 15 years just didn't sound appealing. Right. So I actually stopped that at the end of last year and I decided to change my lifestyle a little bit, my diet and things like that. So I went vegan and I cut out a lot of like refined sugars and refined carbs, which was great. I think it did work for a bit, but then I really love sweets and I really like pasta and bread. So I knew that that wasn't going to be a realistic long-term thing to cut out. And I did notice that once I started introducing those things back into my diet, that like my heat flashes and things like that started to get worse. So I reached back out to my doctor and said, okay, like this, this isn't going to work. Like overall, I definitely felt better and it wasn't as bad as it was, but it was still there. Um, so I went, just went back on birth control, the same one that I was on prior, which was, which is the NuvaRing less, nothing to remember. It just goes up there. And, um, (laughs) and, and you know what, honestly, that I've been doing that for the past couple months and it's been great and I'm still continuing with my vegan diet. So that's helped too, but at least I can still indulge in the things that I like to indulge in. So. It's amazing how going vegan, like how much, you know, how much good it does your body (laughs) because, um, was it, I think it's been two years now, two years ago, I was diagnosed with fibroids and very similar as far as reaction and, you know, confusion, um, that you had about your condition. I had about mine. And, and when I went to Google, I found out how common it was. And, you know, I was really scared and my doctor didn't make it any better. She wasn't very compassionate. (laughs) It was, it was just like the worst way to tell somebody that, you know, they were, they were going to need surgery. And I had never had surgery or anything, but when I researched the thing, the main thing that kept coming up, like as far as like natural healing was like a vegan diet. And, you know, I started doing that. And, um, over time, you know, it, it really did help like shrink the fibroids and all this stuff. And I started feeling better. And so when you're saying like going vegan and it's so funny because I do not like vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like vegetables. And so I would love to continue, you know, the vegan diet, but, um, but I'm just like, I'm not a fan of vegetables, but I'm trying, I'm trying. So I'll definitely be checking out your blog <laughs> with, yeah. your, you know, your recipes and things like that, that you guys have on there. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's definitely hard. Like Jen tried it last month for 30 days and she 
I was actually very impressed. She did really well. She's always said that meat has been difficult for her body to digest. So she's decided that she will cut out meat for good, but she still will do dairy and fish from time to time. Yes. See, that's her balance. That is, that's, that's better than me, man. Cause I don't even eat fish. Like I don't eat anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't eat eggs. I don't eat cheese. I don't eat oh any meat or gosh. fish. So what's a, what's a typical meal for you? So, I mean, it's funny. People always think that all you eat is like salads, but I love bowls. So we do, we do a lot of bowls. I make like really good vegan mac and cheese. Um, and I make everything from scratch. I'm like not just using like the packaged vegan cheese. Um, I eat a lot of chickpeas, but I try not to eat too much of those because beans don't sit that well in my stomach either. A lot of like smoothies, a lot of nice salads and things like that too, but you got to get adventurous and creative. So it's not just like the same boring stuff. I eat a lot of avocados. I almost feel like I need to invest in an avocado tree. (laughs) The amount of avocados that we eat in my house. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's, that's cool. So, so you do eat. That's great. (laughs) Yes, I definitely eat. And there's so many good vegan desserts. I always say like, being vegan doesn't mean that you're going to be super skinny. It just means you're going to be overarchingly healthy, but <laughs> there's still lots of ways to indulge being vegan. So, yes. Well, you know, um, this Friday is national avocado day. See, so, yeah, I feel like I, I, I will post something for national avocado day. I'll make something good and post it. Yes, can't wait to see it. So how has this condition affected your role as a wife and a mother? I think it's as a mother, it's made me more appreciative of my daughter because I know she's the only one I'm going to get. Um, so I, but at the same time, um, the condition, because it kind of makes you a little more moody, I definitely have less patience. But I think I try to remember on the days that I have less patience that like, this is the only one you're going to get. This is the only shot at parenting you have. Mm -hmm. So don't waste it. Um, So for me, I think it's just given me a different perspective. And then as a wife, I feel like, like I said to you, I feel like for a long time, I felt like I was, I wasn't able to do that one thing women are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But I think as a wife, it's just made me stronger. Um, And and just having sort of the support that my husband gave me through all of this sort of just made me love him even more. Um, just being able to kind of have him as my rock through this whole thing. So. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so why do you think women lose themselves in their roles and fall in the habit of putting themselves last? Yeah. You know, that's a hard part because I feel like, women in general, we do a lot, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're someone that has kids. So, you know, you, you're working, so you got to do that. And then you got to come home and you got to, if you're married, you got to be the wife and you got to do that. And then you got to be someone's mom, got to do that. And then at the end of the day, like you're tired, you've done so much already. So when do you even find time for yourself? And I think a lot of times that we base our self-worth on what we do for others Mm-hmm. And so you feel like you need to prioritize all of those other things above doing something for yourself, because if not, it makes you less than, then you're not the perfect wife, then you're not the perfect mom, you know, then you're not the perfect worker. 
And instead of saying like, I need to, I need to be the perfect me or not even the perfect me, but I need to be me. Okay. With me. Right. I need to have time to be me. Um, and we don't because we're too busy trying to, to be perfect in all the other avenues that you just end up putting yourself last. Yes. So your decision to put yourself first, how do you make time for yourself now? And what do you do for yourself? So I think for me, there's a few things. Um, I definitely, I'm a fitness enthusiast. So my, I work out every day. Some weeks I fall off. That's, that's the realness. <laughs> that's life. Normal. But, yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, I, I try to work on about six days a week. And for me, that's my me time. So that's when I'm, I'm kind of just totally focused on myself and I will, you know, put on a good trashy Netflix show and, you know, go on the elliptical or listen to like a really great playlist and do my strength training workout. So for me, that's, that's really a, a way that I make time for myself every single day. The other thing that I've started through COVID was like a five minute meditation. So I try to do, take five minutes out of my day, usually in the morning or before I go to bed and I'll do like a five minute guided meditation. Again, that kind of just allows me to just reflect on my day and who I am and kind of my perspective. And the other thing that I started in COVID as well is writing out sort of the rose, the bud and the thorn of my day. So I've been keeping a journal over the past five months over the rose being like, you know, the highlight of my day, the bud being something that I, it's a growth area for me. And then the thorn being like something that was like a pain in my ass for the day. Um, but that's kind of been my, my focus and it's my me time. And I think the other thing is, is just spending time with my girlfriends, like, and traveling, which obviously nobody can do right now, but, um, I love to travel. I love to do girls trips. We do, I do at least one or two girls trips a year with my girlfriends because that's an, again, a way for me to just recharge, like just Mm -hmm. let loose, not have to worry about being a wife or a mom and just, just relax. (laughs) Um, So that for sure. And then just, and when I'm, we're not traveling, just making sure that we have that girl time, you know, at least once a month with me and Jen, it's probably more like once a week, but with my, the rest of my group of girls, we try to do at least once a month and, you know, just get together and just, you know, talk nonsense and whatever. Yeah, no, that's very, very important. Um, and, and great. I love a good girl's trip. And (laughs) unfortunately, yeah, COVID is not letting us be great this year. No, it is not. It's funny because we started the blog this year and, you know, we had all of these trips planned and we were so excited to write about all of them. And we had all this content kind of planned around the things that we do. And I'm like, well, then COVID happened and just that threw everything out the window. (laughs) I really miss, I really miss traveling. I'm like, I hope that 2021 can be better. I'm not confident, but I hope that it can be even a little bit better. I know that's right. Or 2021 just needs to be amazing. Like exactly <laughs> something. So what has been your hardest moments during your current transition and what have you learned about yourself in the process? Yeah. So I think for me, like during the transition, the most difficult thing was learning to let go of that sense of failure. Um, And sort of, there had been so many days when I would just wake up and I would just be upset. I would just be heartbroken and devastated that like, I had 
I just couldn't do this. I couldn't have any more kids. And I think it was the, for me, it was the wrapping my head around the concept of, because I, like I had said earlier, my sort of, my motto is always, you can, and this one was really just going to be a hard, you can't. Um, and it was difficult for me because I truly believe that you can do anything you put your mind to. And this was one of those things that I just couldn't see another way. There, there wasn't another way, right, right? For me to be able to naturally have another child. Yes, we could adopt and yes, we could um, do donor eggs, but the ability to conceive a child naturally was taken away from me. It was a choice that was taken away from me and there was nothing that I could do about it. And that for me was one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to cope with. Um, so I think what, what I learned through that process was that my fertility doesn't define me. Mm. It doesn't make me who I am. My ability to have children doesn't make me who I am. Kara is Kara, whether she can have kids or not. Having kids doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make me. Yeah. Right. It doesn't make me. And I think that mm-hmm. was really difficult. And I think that's a, a very difficult thing to come to terms with and accept for any woman dealing with infertility issues. Because as a woman, again, you always think it's your fault and mm-hmm. this is on me and it's my body and I can't do this. So it, there's something wrong with me. And I think it's, it's a difficult, it's a, it's a difficult mindset to change but I think with the right support system and the right group of people around you and sort of that, that perseverance and the determination within yourself, you can eventually shift that, that mindset to recognize that, like, like I said, it just doesn't define who you are. And you need to just rethink about, you know, kind of what you, how you define yourself and realize that things like that just don't. Don't define you. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We got to be, we'll be back. We have to go pay some bills. Are you an entrepreneur who needs some encouragement from time to time, but you're tired of listening to boring affirmations that put you to sleep? I understand. That's why I created something we can bounce to. My name is Z and I want to invite you to download my album, Crowned Affirmations, the ultimate soundtrack of encouragement for entrepreneurs. Crowned Affirmations is helping so many of us stay the course. Stream Crowned Affirmations on all digital music outlets today. Okay. Welcome back. Thank you, Kara so much for sharing your story with us today and I feel like there were so many gems dropped and you know I really really appreciate you opening up and sharing your experience with us again um I just have one last question for you now what advice do you have for the woman currently struggling with putting herself first and getting lost in her role as a wife and mom So I think if I could kind of sum it up to two lines, it would be that you need to remember that you have to fill up your cup first. You can't help anyone else if your cup is empty. So you have to take the time to put yourself first every day, even if it's just for one thing in the day, take that time to put yourself first. It could be the smallest thing. It could be sitting in your closet and closing the door, just having five minutes of alone time because that's what you choose to do. But I think it's remembering that your cup 
you need to fill up your own cup first. You just can't help anybody else when your cup is going to be empty. Yes. That's why they tell you on the planes, put your mask on first. Exactly. You, to, you know, save somebody else. <laughs> yep. No, it's so true because I think that's, that's really what it's about. It's remembering that it's, it's okay. It's okay to want to help other people. It's okay to want to be the wife and the, you know, and the perfect person, the perfect, you know, person at work and, you know, the perfect mom, but you can't do any of those things if your own cup isn't full because eventually it will take its toll on you. And eventually you'll become unhappy and resentful of all of those people and all of those things because you never took the time to, for yourself and just to discover what makes you happy and what, you know, what fills up your cup. And I think once you discover what fills up your cup, just make sure you do those things to fill up your cup Mm. every day. Agreed. And on that note, we are, we have come to the end of the show. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Tia. (laughs) No problem. Until next time, friends. Bye. Well, all right, friends, that's all I got. Until next time, thank you for tuning in to Women in Transition. I am your host, Tia Davidson. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and submission of questions, please visit www.accordingtotia.com. But before you do that, can you do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast? And while you're there, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate your feedback and your support. And if you're not already following me at According to Tia or at the Millennial Wives Club, you are missing out. I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Step out of my comfort zone, I'm not afraid. See, I don't want to block what God has for me. Watching what I feed my mind, good energy. Good energy. And I let go the people that's no good for me. See, I'm fully, fully persuaded, persuaded that I can do this. Yep, I can make it. I'm an entrepreneur with integrity. I like nothing. I ain't no sense of jealousy.